What's up, everybody? It's your man, Plyrock. And before we get started with today's podcast, just wanted to take this opportunity to remind you to please follow us on Facebook at Ply and the Moldog. That's P-L-Y-A-N-D-T-H-E-D-A-W-G, Ply and the Moldog. You can also find our live video game show most nights of the week at Plyrock Gamer on Facebook. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Plyrock Gamer, P-L-Y-R-O-C-K-G-A-M-E-R. We appreciate all the support. We'd love it if you dropped us some feedback, a subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. It really helps out the show. Thank you so much and enjoy. Meeting at the intersection of entertainment and knowledge, of greatness and destiny, comes the greatest sports video game movie podcast on today. Please welcome in your hosts, Plyrock and Mitch the Moldaw. What's up, everybody? It's your man, Plyrock, and welcome to another episode of Ply and the Moldog. Today, we're going to be focusing in on uh, some video game stuff and some movie stuff, uh, which we're going to try to keep separate from the sports podcast because we know sports news changes so fast from day to day, but we also know that uh, video game and movie and pop culture type things have a little bit more of a shelf life that you can come back to again and again to experience the content of movie game reviews and the like. So what's going on, Mold Dog? How are you, man? Welcome in. Still sick as a dog, but the show must still go on. So let's do it, Ply. Man, it feels like you have been sick forever, dude. I hope you do get better. Well, I'm not as young as you, Ply, so this could be the end of the line for me. <laughs> anyway... So, uh, re- just recently, Moldog has been getting into learning more and more about the current uh, state of video games past, uh, you know, uh, Robotron and Donkey Kong. And uh, he's been experiencing some of the newer stuff. And just recently on the live show, I was playing for Valentine's Day, Ghostbusters, the video game. And Moldog had some pretty good impressions of it and actually enjoyed watching it. Which he's a huge '80s movies fan, and he's a huge Ghostbusters fan, and the fact that I was able to bring him uh, the actual sequel to Ghostbusters Two, which is the recognized sequel to Ghostbusters Two, and Ghostbusters the video game was pretty cool, man. So, what did you think of it while you were watching it? Before we get into kind of explaining what it is, like, what was your initial impressions of Ghostbusters the video game? Well, I was surprised. I mean, I had went from your. Uh... You teased it with, uh, we're going to be crossing some streams. And of course you got, you know, stream versus streaming and blah, blah, blah. And I I had kind of, when I heard cross the streams, I thought Ghostbusters, but I didn't necessarily know that was the game that was going to be played. And then I came out of the show and I saw, and I was, I, I flipped out. I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And it's one of those things, um, now that you're talking about kind of trying to bring me up on video games and this, that, and the other, I kind of compare it to, uh, so I'm learning my video games by watching the, you know, Ply Rock Nation and your live streaming show. Yeah, so, man. Yeah, it's kind of like when people say, like, you know, I learned, uh, I came over to this country, I didn't know any English, and I watched uh, Friends. And uh, that taught, <laughs> yeah, it's true. That, yeah, that taught me how to speak English. I feel the same way. I feel like when you're talking about some of these video games, it is a foreign language. I have no idea what you're talking about. So you will soon, though. So basically, I'm watching the equivalent of Friends on Ply Rock Gaming with these streams, 
and that's how I'm picking up on it. But the f- I was pumped about the Ghostbusters one. It's funny, too, because sooner rather than later, I'm going to actually get you set up on one of these video game systems, and I'm going to make you play with us. I'm going to make you play with the Pioneers. So you're going to eventually not only be learning the language, so to speak, and the lingo, then you're going to have to get used to a controller, which shouldn't be too bad. And then you're going to be jumping in playing with us, too, because I know these I know the Pioneers are going to want to eventually play with you and we have such a good time most nights of the week. But Ghostbusters, the video game is pretty interesting, which you didn't really know until I explained it to you afterwards. But it was written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. I had no idea, especially after that. A video game movie adaptation podcast that we had. I, I thought those uh, two did not overlap, so that surprised me when you told me that the actual movie guys had gotten involved with the video game. Dan Aykroyd, as you know, had been trying to make a proper sequel to Ghostbusters forever, right? And he had ideas for the sequel that he just kept kicking around, and he could never get the original guys to get back together, mostly because of Bill Murray but they generally were never on the same page to make a Ghostbusters 3, and Dan Aykroyd was so adamant about it. So he finally got together with, I believe at the time it was, a, it was a, I want to say Atari Games, but I'd have to look it up. And this was back about 10 years ago during the height of the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 era, and uh, they finally put together a video game with his help based on Uh, his original ideas for a script. Now, this Ghostbusters sequel was not a movie. So when I was trying to explain the difference when movies jump to games and games jump to movies, I was talking about adaptations of stories. So like, for example, when you try to make a video game version of uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, it generally sucks because you've got to take the the story from Terminator 2 and you've got to kind of expand upon it and give everybody an experience they can control. Um, but if you made a sequel to Terminator 2 that was specifically designed from the ground up to be a video game, but to continue the story of the Terminator franchise, Terminator Resistance, cough, cough, that awful, that unbelievably awesome game I played last month on the Ply Rock show. Then you can create something special. So in this particular case with Ghostbusters, and I don't know how the hell they did it. They couldn't get them together to make Ghostbusters 3 the movie, but they got Bill Murray back, Harold Ramis back, uh, Winston came back, Dan Aykroyd, Janine, the lady who played Janine came back. Um, the composer for who did a lot of the original music came back. So they got all these guys to come back and work on the video game, but they couldn't get them to do a movie. So this story that you're seeing in Ghostbusters, the video game is actually kind of the recognized real sequel, the 2016 shit show forgotten to Ghostbusters two, you know, Ghostbusters one and two. So, I'm glad you got to enjoy it, man. It was a fun night. I thought it'd be it'd be clever to do crossing the streams of love for Valentine's Day, and we had a fun time. The game itself, even though I'm playing the remastered version, it hasn't aged very well in terms of gameplay. It's clearly a game that was made 10 years ago. When they updated it and called it the remastered version, all they basically did was upscale the 
um, what do you call it? The uh, they kind of took it from a 720p to a 1080p uh, level of uh, clarity. They didn't really do any. The cutscenes are still blurry. They never remastered the cutscenes, which I thought was a little weird. The, it's still hard as hell to play. The game is extremely hard, by the way. Um, so the controls are still a little bit loose and wonky. So they really didn't do much work. They just kind of like cleaned up the game to make it look nicer. And then they re-released it for 30 bucks, which was kind of disappointing. But on the flip side of that, if you had never experienced Ghostbusters, the video game before, which I had already beaten it back 10 years ago when it came out, I could see from Moldog's perspective, from your perspective, Moldog, seeing these guys all back together, the dialogue's written by them. So Peter Venkman is is truly Peter Venkman. You know what I mean? Understood. Uh, the guy who played, uh, what's his name, uh, who played Thornburg in, in Die Hard, he always plays a dick in every movie. Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Uh, what's his name there? He's back. You know what I mean? So they did a really good job with the essence of Ghostbusters, with the uh, capturing the spirit of the movies. The gameplay, if you've if you've already beaten the original game 10 years ago, there's no reason to go back to this. Okay. Like, uh, but if you've never played the original game and you love Ghostbusters, then there is a reason to play this because you could clearly tell the developers who made this and the people who worked on it, Dan Aykroyd, everybody else clearly love the source material and they put their heart and soul into the story, this story, this new story of is Gozer coming back? Is it Gozer? which you work your way through some iconic, like, I don't know if you saw mall dog, the, the mission when I'm in the library. Yes, I you, did. Yes, I did. I was, I was on the live show at that point. Yes. Yeah. So the gray lady, which yes. is, she's the original ghost from the original scene of the original movie. Yes. So you get her backstory as to why she's the gray lady. So Dan, in that, in that particular level of the game, you go down below the New York library and I'm going to spoil it a little bit because the game's 10 years old, so whatever. But you go down into, you know, you, you go down and you're fighting her all the way through down to the bottom. And you finally get down to this weird area way below the New York library. And she had been taken out by a serial killer. And that's why she haunted the library. So, and they kind of had the story there of how she became the Grey Lady. So a lot of those things, a lot of those ideas that Dan Aykroyd had, that he was never able to, because Dan Aykroyd's pretty much the, the the driving force behind all the craziness in Ghostbusters. <laughs> he was kind of the mind, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, Ramis, Ramis too, but, and, and Reitman directed it fantastically, but he was, Dan Aykroyd was really the brainchild of it. Like, he was like, you know, Tobin's spirit guide and all that crazy stuff he came up with. So a lot of these, original things from the original movies they they're able because it's a video game they're able to give you more backstory and more experience on where the gray lady came from do you understand what i'm saying whereas yeah because it's a longer as you've as you've um, explained to me uh when you're talking about a game that you can spend 20 hours or 40 hours or whatever you have a lot more time to develop all those backstories and 
that we kind yeah, of yeah. went over that in the last one on why the adaptations aren't very great because you just can't get as involved in the movie and and hit on as many things as you can in the video game that's one thing i'm finding out here and that's one thing i'm learning from you that's really interesting can i just ask you one question though because you say sure. you say this a lot and i never kind of chime in and and i kind of just assume oh the graphics got better or the graphics got worse but you say a lot uh when reviewing some of these video games that hey this this looks you know like it should have been made 10 years ago this looks like it should have been made 10 years ago or this looks like it was made 10 years ago can you just, sure. can you just clarify that point a little bit yeah no what it what, basically all right so starting back at donkey kong because i mean that's your starting point right is pac-man donkey kong i my starting point is you set out you had a set number of guys and when yeah. they got killed the game was over right yeah three yeah, but guys, it was, you lose sure. three guys it's over. <laughs> and however yeah. many points you got you got these yeah. games these games that I watch you play doesn't seem like you have a number of guys or that you get killed or don't get killed. You just kind of get wounded and keep going on. And then you find some power or, or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, we're past, we're past the number of lives that, now. Okay. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Video games today are less about the immediate quick experience of a level of Pac-Man and a high score and more about the immersive experience of a story in a world. Under, so, got it w- with challenge, by the way. So a lot of the times when you see me die in some of these games, which is rare because I am a real gamer, bro. But <laughs> but it 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 takes you back to your previous checkpoint or save. So it doesn't it doesn't necessarily not punish you for dying. It brings you back to where you previously saved the game, which we're going to talk about Doom in a second. Or it brings you back to the previous checkpoint in the story and makes you complete that section again. Like, you've got to figure it out. So it's a lot of puzzle solving. It's a lot of practice. It's a lot of, uh, you know, figuring out how do I kill this boss or what do I do here in this room to open this door? It's not more. It's not it's not really any longer about I mean, you can still play games like that. There are still games that are high score and. You know, uh, you know. Can Pac-Man Championship, uh, Pac-Man World Championship Two, is a clear example of remastering Pac-Man in a fun way. That's still all about getting the maze done in a high score. But those games aren't as prevalent or as generating and money making anymore as games that create an entire story or or world. You know what I'm saying? So it's so, an experience. Yeah, you're actually talking about a real visceral cathartic experience in some of these games as opposed to you know uh, i got the maiden you know i got the rescued the maiden and i got the high score yeah that's we're past that so even a new mario game is going to be a giant world lots of secrets you know it's going to be a different than it was back in the nintendo days of you know you jump over some things kill a few goombas get the flag get fifty thousand points and realize that Princess Peach is not in this castle. It's not really your girlfriend. You know what I mean? You have to go to the next castle. Got it. So with Ghostbusters, there's no real time constraint on how long the developers have in the game to tell you the story, to give you the backstory, to create the world for you. There is 
there is an effort to keep the game moving along. So there is pacing issues still in video games that also exist in movies. You know, they game developers still have to find ways to not make it drag out for you. They got to keep you interested and keep you moving along on either a, the path they designed for you in a linear game or to give you just enough breadcrumbs to be able to explore and find out new things in an open world type game. So there's two types of games, essentially single player games that I play on the show. There's a linear game, which is like Ghostbusters, the video game, which has a predetermined path that you take through each level that tells you a story, right? There's really not much exploration in Ghostbusters, the video game. That's pretty much a designed level with designed things that are going to happen. You make it through the level, you fight the boss, you move on, you get more of the story. Then there is a game I'll play like, uh, which you haven't really seen yet, but I'm going to use an example for the audience. Um, There'll be a game like Red Dead Redemption, which is a giant, you know, 50, 60, 70 square miles of desert and Wild West territory where you can go anywhere you want. And anywhere you go, you'll be finding new characters and new missions and new things to do. So there's really not a predetermined path as much that the developers want to take you down. It's more of creating an overall experience in an entire, an entire world. All right. And then there's multiplayer games. Like you'll see when we play Fortnite or call of duty where it's six on six and whoever gets the most kills wins. (laughs) You know what I mean? So there are different types of video games, but for this particular conversation, uh, Ghostbusters, the video game, which I thought was a good segue for you because you love Ghostbusters, you love the 80s, you love Bill Murray, you love all those guys. And for them to come back and actually make a really good story-driven sequel to Ghostbusters 2, which I don't know if I'm ready to say that Ghostbusters 2 is as good of a movie as we all try to remember it to be. I don't think it is, but I don't think it's terrible. No, it's a serviceable sequel, but it's not Ghostbusters. Have you had to see the trailer for... The new Ghostbusters. Which, yeah, you just finally got to see that. So what are your initial thoughts of that before we get into Doom? We'll keep on the Ghostbusters here. I am totally psyched uh, to to jump back into that franchise. It seems like it's been a million years. And again, the original Ghostbusters even, you know, goes back to my youth a little bit. But it was the original Ghostbusters with so many of the great little funny little comments and, and this you know, the, the humor and the offbeat, you know, nature of the story and two was okay. And a, a serviceable, I think is the term you use, but then you have this big interruption or lack of any addition to it. And now you have this trailer coming out, which, you know, was a two, two and a half minute trailer, which got me totally, totally pumped up to go see it's... Uh, Ghostbusters afterlife. I believe it's called. Now, did you see, Stranger Things. I watched, uh, I'd say. I love that show, by the way, for the yeah, record. It's, but it's a great show. I mean, with the 80s, with the 80s. I was a I was kid in the 80s, there. bro. Yeah. Like, th- that's in my wheelhouse. I played with those toys. I watched two thirds of the first season, I would say. Oh, you yeah. got to finish it, bro. Yeah, I watched about two thirds of the first season. I loved it. I thought it I thought it was great. Very, very interesting. Uh, Gets better. Concept. Gets better. Very interesting concept. Love the love the soundtrack and love the uh, the 
you know, time pieces that were put in there, all the 80s stuff, as you know. The 80s are near and dear to my heart. It was before I was washed up. <laughs> You're not washed up, man. Come on. So I'll take a shower. You're a little stinky, but <laughs> listen, if you haven't finished Stranger Things, finish the show, dude. The four, the four, se- the three seasons that are out. Season two is probably by my favorite season, but all three of them are very good seasons of television. Uh, it only gets better from season one. So I, pr- I promise you, but the only reason I'm bringing that up is if you notice the trailer for Ghostbusters Afterlife, number one, the main kid from Stranger Things is obviously a main character in this new movie. I did pick that up. Number two, it feels like an episode of Stranger Things when you're watching the trailer where these kids go on an adventure and there's something mysterious going on in their town. Yes. So it has that 80s Steven Spielberg type vibe to it with kids go on an adventure a la E.T. or whatever. Okay. And it also just gives you just enough of the nostalgia and Paul Rudd being in it's amazing because he's hilarious. So who knows where he's going to go with it too. Okay. But um, it gives you just enough nostalgia to bring you like that original Ghostbusters commercial that they do. We're ready to believe you from the eighties. Yes. It's just enough. And then you're like, is this kid Egon's, is this kid Egon's uh, daughter or granddaughter? Or what is this? You know what I mean? Like, or whoever, we don't even know. It could be Bill Murray's granddaughter. We don't know. Someone's related to somebody in the Ghostbusters world. <clears throat> and one of those Ghostbusters went out to the Midwest and retired or did something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So we have no idea, but it's so intriguing. And so it looks so good that uh, I think it's going to be a hit. I think Jason Reitman, Ivan's uh, son, uh, loves his dad, but is ready to make his own mark, but is ready to honor his father at the same time with this direct with in the director's chair. I think the cast looks amazing, and we haven't even seen Bill Murray or Dan Aykroyd or those guys yet either. Ernie Hudson, you know, they're all there. Something's going on. Something big is going on in that town. And you could literally frame by frame that trailer and pick up a lot of nuggets about what's about to go down. One of the things I noticed rewatching the trailer with you is when the kids all go run and hide and hide under the kitchen table. Yes. If you look right before that shot, when they're all running to the kitchen table to get under it, there's a pile of books right behind them stacked up perfectly neatly from the floor to the ceiling. Okay. Gray lady. What's going on? So there's a lot of little nuggets in there too. You know, does Slimer show back up? You know, like what is really going on? Is it, is it, is it, uh, is it Gozer? Is it Vigor the destroyer? Whatever the hell his name was. Remember from the painting? Yeah. You're probably probably not going to see stay puff though. Right. Maybe not. But is, is, is there a river of slime under that town? Remember in the second one, the the slime was the negative slime. Correct. And it was making everybody fight. 
So that was the second, that was the second movie. Uh, so what are they doing with it? Who knows? I think it looks great. Uh, if you haven't played the video game, Ghostbusters, the game, you really should do yourself a favor. If you're a Ghostbusters fan, you could probably pick it up for 10, 15 bucks. So, um, yeah, dude, it was cool. And I'm glad you enjoyed it, dude, because that was a fun time. Now, moving on real quick. The other game that I've been playing because we're getting, um, listen, there are a few things in life that bring ply rock joy. One of them is doing a podcast with Muldog. Another one is watching the Indians in the playoffs. And the other one is playing video games that get just make me feel so good inside. And nothing makes me feel so good inside like Doom. Doom. And Doom. That's quite so, a trilogy, actually. Podcast with me, the Indians, and Doom. I, I, I like that holy <laughs> trinity. <laughs> so... The, we have been playing on the show. We've been playing through Doom 3, which is a classic uh, PC title, which was ported over to the consoles back in the original uh, PlayStation. Well, it didn't even come out for PlayStation 2, Xbox, and uh, PC days. And Doom, and, uh, Do- the original Doom and the original Doom 2 were, were mid-90s, one of some of the first original first-person shooter games. Uh, they're intense. They're insane. <clears throat> they're old school. They didn't really have a story. You were just a space marine stuck on Mars. The forces of hell. You got to kill them all. It was awesome, dude. But then they waited a long time and they came out with Doom 3, which was a reboot of the original Doom games. But they tried to take it in a horror direction as opposed to a completely action oriented you know, slaughter fest. So we're playing through doom three now, which is a controversial, uh, it's a controversial entry in the series and it's, it's a departure from the other doom games. It's more, uh, I want to say like haunted housey things jump out at you through the walls. It's not as fast paced of a shooter as the other games are. Um, it's trying to build up the scares and the tension and the darkness and the horror, whereas the other games are not really horror based. So, but it's my personal favorite because the very first PC that I ever built was for doom three. So one year for, this is before I was a PC gamer ever. So my one year, I thought it was awesome for Christmas. My mother got me a brand new HP computer. I was so excited. It was like my first real computer ever. I was like, dude, this could be awesome. I can play PC games now, right? And I had about as much knowledge of PC games as Muldog has right now. That's saying. So, so this tank was empty, bro. So I ran down to my local Walmart at the time and I bought Doom 3 for 20 bucks because it had already been out for like a year. And I ran home. I was so excited. I put it in and my computer just a middle finger popped up on the screen. And it was like, no. And I'm like, what the hell, man? Like I had played my whole life. Nintendo, Super Nintendo's uh, PlayStation one, PlayStation two. You buy a game, you go home, you put it in, you turn it on, you play the game, right? Yeah, it works. It's not how it works for PC, right? 
So I'm like, there's something wrong with my computer. So I called my buddy, who was a PC enthusiast at the time, and I said to him, I said, hey, I'm trying to play Doom 3, but my computer keeps freezing and dying, like starting up the game. He goes, oh, well, what graphics card do you have in it? What? (laughs) (laughs) What graphics card do you have in it? Uh, I don't know. He's like, I believe at the time it was Windows XP. So he was like, well, this is how you do it. You know, go over here to my computer and blah, 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 blah. He's walking me through it. And so I'm like, uh, it's got an Intel integrated graphics chip. He's like, oh, I'm like, what? He goes, you don't have a graphics card in it. It doesn't have one. It doesn't know how to make graphics, bro. So I'm like, oh, so I'm like, all right, well, how much does that cost? He goes, well, you're going to need this, blah, 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 blah. So go get this one. It's probably going to cost you like 100, 150 bucks. Okay. So I went down to a place that I'm sure Mitch remembers, Comp USA. Comp USA. Yes, no longer. <laughs> no longer Comp USA. They're all like five below now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so I ran down to Comp USA. And I bought this awesome graphics card. I think it was like 200 bucks at the time, which was a lot of money for me because I was like a 19, 18, 19-year-old college kid, right? I flew home right away. I opened up my computer. My buddy met me over there who I was on the phone with. We unscrew the computer. We're ready to go. And it had what they call an AGP connector. Okay. I open up. We look in the motherboard. There's a motherboard in there. Everybody knows what a motherboard is. And he looks in and he goes, oh, shit. I go, what? Your computer, your motherboard doesn't have an AGP connector. What does that mean? It means we got to get a new motherboard. How much do those cost? Uh, probably about 100 bucks. Motherfuck, right? So we go back down to CompUSA. Now, this computer I just got from my mother for Christmas. So now picture this. I'm already taking it apart. I bought the game for 20 bucks. I bought the graphics card for 200 bucks. I ran home. I got another. I ran to CompUSA. I got a motherboard that would fit with an AGP connector. So now I'm $320, $300 into a $20 video game. Okay. I come home. We put the motherboard in. We put the graphics card in. We turn the computer on and it goes no. And I'm like, what is going on now? Your version of Windows is not uh, legal. What? Oh, bro, I forgot. What do you mean you forgot? (laughs) If we change the motherboard, Microsoft thinks it's a whole new computer. We got to buy Windows again. Got to buy Windows and install it. (laughs) How much is that? Let's check. Oh, that's $200. (laughs) I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So now I go down to CompUSA. I buy a copy of Windows XP Home Edition for $199.99. So now I have bought a AGP graphics card, which was NVIDIA at the time, for I think it was 200 bucks. I bought a motherboard for 100 bucks. I had to buy Windows for 200 bucks. You're right? $500 down and you haven't shot anybody. I'm $500 into a $20 discounted video game that I want to play so bad. So if anybody ever tells you that hardware doesn't sell software, they're full of shit, right? So we get home, 
We start putting this whole thing together. All right. Next thing you know, we turn it on. The computer says no. What? This is like hours into this too, bro. This isn't like instant. This is like an all-day affair, right? What is the problem now? Oh, man. The power supply is not big enough to power all this stuff. We need a power supply. How much are those? Uh, I don't know. It's probably about 50 bucks. You got to be effing kidding me. So all in all, after I rebuilt this entire... My mom came over. She's like, where's the computer I bought you? I'm like, oh, it's right there. She's like, that doesn't look like the computer I bought you. I'm like, yeah, I used the DVD drive from the computer you bought me. I had to buy a whole new case, too, because the thing was too small. The motherboard I got was too big for the case that you bought me the original computer. So thanks for the DVD ROM that was like 20 bucks, my I appreciate it. <laughs> so I ended up spending like $600 on a $20 game just to play Doom 3. That is a great story. Isn't that sick? That's a great story. That's so funny, too, because that's how it was back back then. I mean, you're talking about, you're not talking about downloading a few things here and there. You're talking about popping the thing open and changing motherboards. That's I change That's kind everything. of a big deal. Yeah, man. I'm not even getting into the whole we needed more memory because the game didn't have, the game was a memory hog. Of course you did. And you couldn't just put, stick a couple memory sticks there in the... Uh... Not in those days. <laughs> No, the, the memory story. memory back in the day didn't click into like these two little clamps. Back in the day, you'd like push it down on the motherboard and like get it in the right spot, and then there was like these two metal like fingers that came over it and held it down. Oh, Maroon. It was just ridiculous, bro. But you know what? We ended up getting it done. And then since then, since that time, Ply has bought Doom 3 probably another six times. <laughs> Not every system ever it's ever came out for. So it's been fun playing through Doom 3. The reason we're playing through Doom 3 is because uh, next week, starting next week, uh, mid to late February, if you guys are listening to this, we're going to be playing through Doom 2016, which is the reboot of the reboot of Doom. And it's kind of a combination of the original Doom games with a little bit of horror, but it's super fast paced. It's insane. One of my favorite games of all time. And we're playing through that because right near my birthday on March 20th, Doom Eternal comes out and that's going to take over the Plyrock Nation for a while because nothing, nothing tickles Plyrock's fancy like a brand new Doom game. But this time, don't anybody be nervous. This baby over here to my left, my brand new gaming PC can handle it. We don't have to change anything. We don't have to rebuild anything. We are good. I promise. So we're going to be playing that in March. So I'm, that's the video game front, dude. I'm also heading to, uh, at the end of the month in February, Moldog. I don't know if you know this already, but I'm heading to PAX East. PAX East. Yes, I've heard. I just got my uh, passes in the mail today, and I activated them. So Ply and Mrs. Ply will be heading to Boston, Massachusetts at the end of February to shake some hands and meet some streamers and do some networking. And it'll be Plyrock's first streamer convention ever. So I'll be doing tons of Instagram from there, tons of Twitter from there, uh, maybe a Facebook live if I can from there. So make sure you guys are following us at Plyrock gamer on Twitter or at Plyrock gamer on Instagram. I can't wait to uh, share the experience with you guys. And hopefully 
meet some other people we can bring aboard the Ply Rock Nation and Ply and the Muldog podcast and make this thing even bigger and more special for you guys. <coughs> so Muldog, we're kind of in like a lull in the movie season now. We're kind of like all the Oscar stuff has come out. It's not quite the summer season yet. I mean, yay, we, me and you got to see Sonic the Hedgehog, which was awesome for the kids. But yes. is there anything in the month of March or April movie-wise that you're looking forward to that is coming out that maybe is not on people's radar or you're a big fan of? I've got one movie I'm excited to see over the next month. I don't know about you. I don't have a lot. I have the one movie. What's yours? Well, I have one, um, and it kind of draws me back a little bit uh, to an to an earlier time, and to see uh, if this kind of measures up. Uh, it, it the trailer kind of makes it sound a little like a movie I've already seen, but I don't want to give too much away. But it's called The Way Back with uh, Ben Affleck. Okay, and uh, you know it's a it's about a you know about a high school basketball player ran into some. Uh, you know, trouble with, uh, with the booze. And, uh, he seems to get a second chance, uh, coaching, uh, at, at his, uh, at his alma mater, if you will. And, uh, we'll kind of see where that goes from. It's got a, uh, it's obviously meant to be, you know, an incredibly serious movie, but it's got a little bit of a Hoosiers feel to me (laughs) boy that's in your wheelhouse yeah and that may be fair and that may not be fair in in hoosiers the uh the assistant coach uh, who happened to be one of the parents of one of the good players was the guy with the alcohol problem who helped the new coach out at the local high school this one seems to be centered around a player who struggled with alcohol and came back as a coach so it's it's a little you know, those, those aren't too, too far away. Uh, we'll see if it goes down that trail a little bit, but as soon as I read the intro, I was kind of like, all right, this sounds kind of hoosiery with Ben Affleck, but I am excited to see it. I will go see it and maybe it'll be like that. Maybe it won't, but that one does have me excited. It's amazing. The, I remember how much Ben Affleck had fallen years ago with uh Pearl Harbor with Gigi or Gigi or Gigi or oh, whatever the hell. That was the bottom, right? That was the bottom of the bottom. Bottom of the bottom of the bottom. And to see him come all the way back and uh produce, direct and star in some unbelievable movies over the past 10 years. And we can all fight about Batman Ben Affleck, but in general he has really come into his own and to see him continue to make quality movies coming into his, uh, you know, he's past the halfway point of his career now. As the mug uh, likes to say, he's on the back nine of his career. Back nine, but what? sometimes your back nine is better than your front nine, bro. I, I know, I know. I, so, I didn't say he was dead. I just said he was on the back nine. So you're going to review this movie for us when you guys, when you see it. Yes, I will. All right. So the one I'm excited about, which I love the original, was called A Quiet Place. It starred John Krasnicki and Emily Blunt. It was uh, basically about a family in a post-apocalyptic America 
where some type of invasion had happened or something had happened where people were getting killed left and right and most of society was completely destroyed. And if you made any type of noise, um, these creatures would come and tear you apart. So these people had to live without talking. They had to live without, you know, stepping on a branch too loud or whatever else it was. They had to like they had to live that way. So the entire movie is kind of very quiet, except for a few moments when sound is actually horrifying. Okay. Okay. Great movie directed by John Krasnicki, him and his wife, unbelievable acting in the movie. So there is a sequel coming out, A Quiet Place Part 2. And it's coming out here in March. And I'm excited if it's even halfway as good as the original movie. Uh, It's going to be one hell of a ride. Um, I can't really say too much about it without spoiling the original movie. Because the original movie is so good, but it has a pretty wild ending. So it's hard for me to really dig into where I think this movie is going to go without kind of ruining the original movie before Muldog sees it. So I highly, highly recommend A Quiet Place, Muldog. It's probably on Amazon Prime or Netflix or something. Um, I think you'll really enjoy it. And it's the one. It's like almost a silent film. And it's crazy that they, they could make a silent film in 2016. And have, you know? it, and have it be popular. It's horrifying. Whenever sound happens, the movie is literally horrifying. It's incredible. So I'm excited for that. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, I know the other, the new Pixar movies coming out soon too, in a week or two, the movie onward, which if you're just going off a of Pixar's track record, anything Pixar touches is, is a mountain of money. They rarely make a bad movie. Um, cars three kind of sucked. Toy story four is getting a little long in the tooth, but other than that, they generally knock it out of the park with up, uh, with, uh, inside out with, uh, the original toy stories, cars. They just know how to make a movie, an animated movie. And I think onwards going to be a big hit for them. There were a couple of movies that I think are going to completely tank, so I'm going to go on my hot take on the record and let you know these movies are going to suck and they're not going to make any money, and I don't know why Hollywood tries to do this sometimes. There's a movie coming out with Batista called My Spy. It's some type of family movie where he's, like, I don't know if you ever saw Vin Diesel was in one. I think it was called The Pacifier. I saw the pacifier. That's what my spy is going to be like. The pacifier it's, was kind of like yeah, the rock did one where he was yeah. the quarterback. It was kind of this feel good, you know, yeah. kind of a role reversal type thing. I mean, yeah. It, it yeah. wasn't terrible, but no, but it's, it's, I mean, it's going to bomb. No I, don't know if I'd go I saw the trailer. I was like, come on. That wasn't boring. And then Vin Diesel has a new movie coming out called bloodshot and it's kind of like a superhero movie kind of where he's like a kind of like a healing superhero who can get beat up and shot and killed and it heals okay nobody uh vin diesel tries sometimes to step outside of the fast and furious universe now 
doesn't ever really go too well. I mean, he tried to come back to triple X. You remember triple X? Yes. Yeah. I mean, no, that didn't work. So no. And you know, he's just not, it's not saving private Ryan anymore. He was in saving private Ryan, by the way. Yes. He's a good actor, by the way, this is not a knock on Vin Diesel, but he's tried a few times to step outside of the fast and furious universe. And when the checks are that big, and you cashing them, bro. Just stay there for a while. Are you cool? I get it. We don't mind that you're Dominic Toretto. You were born to play Dominic Toretto. We family, bro. Stay in the car. Blow up that franchise and have fun. Because every time he goes somewhere else with some weird science fiction or something, it tanks. Just, oh, and you know, and to be fair to him, Riddick, he did what? Three Riddick movies. And. The first Riddick was a surprise hit. Pitch Black was a great movie. The Chronicles of Riddick was the only movie ever to completely put me to sleep in a movie theater, I think, to this day, except for Yogi Bear. That one put me to sleep, too. And that was a big uh, release. There was a lot behind Chronicles of Riddick, too. That was supposed to be a better movie than it was. Sucked. And then they came out with a third movie called Riddick, which wasn't generally a very big hit. It wasn't a, it didn't bomb, but it wasn't a very big hit. And it was a good movie. The only problem with it was it was basically just a remake of Pitch Black, which I didn't really like. I'm like, really? You guys just, why did you remake Pitch Black? Like Riddick has, that's another example of a video game expanding upon a universe and a story and being way better than the movies that came out. So, Vin Diesel starred in a video game for called The Escape from Butcher Bay, which was the story of how Riddick got his eyes. You know how his eyes are, uh, so we could see in the dark. Yes, I don't got those. Escape from Butcher Bay, though, I am unfamiliar with that one. Yeah, well, because it was a, it was a video game. It was not a movie, but oh, it's, okay. con- it's considered official canon, and it's the it's the official story of Riddick before he crash lands on that first planet for pitch black. Got it. Got it. And that's how he gets those eyes that he can only see in the dark. And the video game's fantastic. And the Chronicles of Riddick sucked. Like it's a, it's an example of being able to tell an unbelievable story over the course of 15 or 20 hours, as opposed to an hour and a half and creating an entire world around a character as cool as Riddick. Riddick's a cool character, dude. He's a badass, like badass, like serial mercenary around the stars who can see in the dark and kicks everybody's ass. And, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a, it's, it's, it's built for video games. So I just think that, that he's, he, he tries sometimes to go outside his wheelhouse and, you, he's so Dominic Toretto now. There are very few actors who, once they step into a particular role, they're trapped. Right? I mean, Christopher Reeve, Superman. Yeah. Well, he he played Superman. He was done after that. He was done. He everything else I ever saw him in, I was like, I remember seeing him in a movie called Children of the uh, No Village of the Damned. It was a John Carpenter movie, I believe. Actually, if I'm going off memory. And it was about Christopher Reeve, and I think Kirstie Alley was in it, too. And she was in Cheers, if you remember her. 
Of course, I remember Kirstie Alley from Cheers. <laughs> Just testing your memory, bro. And they were in a movie called Village of the Damned, where like there was like these little kids with blonde hair and glowing eyes, and they all like they controlled the adults. Do you remember this movie? No, no. Okay. I and Christopher Reeve was in it, and he was like the hero of the story, but it was Christopher Reeve with like blonde hair, so it looked freaking weird. Okay. And I was like, dude, you're Superman. What do you care about these little kids? Like, you just flick them. You know, like, it just didn't work. Like, everything Christopher Reeve tried to do after Superman, it was like, you're Superman. And that, like, broke his heart, too, because he was actually an extremely good actor beforehand. He was a classical actor and a, and, a, and a stage actor, and he had done, you know, some parts in movies and stuff. And he was like, Christopher Reeve was like extremely talented, like Anthony Hopkins level actor. And once he played such a good Superman, that was over. It happened. Like uh, that Robert Patrick. Happens. That typecasting happens. It's a Robert real- Patrick. He plays the T-1000 in Terminator 2. What the hell else does he ever do? And don't say X-Files. No, no, no. What else did he ever do? Robert Patrick is the Terminator. Don't get into into X-Files. After Duchovny, there's no X-Files as far as... What I'm saying is Robert Patrick, Terminator 2, right? T-1000. Yes. He, after Terminator 2, every time you saw him in anything you ever saw him in again, what was your first thought? Terminator huh. 2. That's the T one thousand. Yeah, that's it. Like it's he was so menacing and so good as the T one thousand in Terminator two. To this day, not only is he the best Terminator villain that ever happened, Terminator two clearly the best Terminator movie that ever happened. Uh every other bad Terminator that has come out since then is a wannabe Robert Patrick. Right? Like every movie that came out since, they these people are playing catch up to Robert Patrick's villain in Terminator sure. Two. It's just, it's, but he never was able to really get past that, and he's a good actor, you know. So there are a few others that I'm trying to think of. There are some character actors who always get typecast too, as like a general or a lawyer or a bad guy. Uh, but those are like the main ones that come to my mind where once you play a certain character, Robert Downey Jr., I think, will forever be Iron Man now. Um, I think he's a good enough actor. We kind of do other things a little bit, but he just came out with that movie Doolittle. You know, like nobody cared, didn't make any money. <clears throat> he could try to go back and play Sir Sherlock Holmes again, but. Benedict Cumberbatch has got that shit so locked down as Sherlock Holmes on the BBC channel. I don't think there's any demand for Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law to make another Sherlock Holmes. No, I, I didn't think I didn't think Sherlock Holmes was that big a was that big a hit. No, the, they it actually was a the first two movies. The first movie was a pretty good hit. The second one was a pretty good hit, but. Since then, the sh- I don't know if you've seen the Sherlock Holmes show. No, I have not. Look that up, dude. That's a great show with Benedict Cumberbatch and I think Martin Short, who also played uh, Bilbo Baggins in the Hobbit movies. Oh, well, Martin Short. Yeah, not Martin Short. Is it Martin Short? Is Martin Short the comedian from the 80s? 
Yeah, he played in. Uh, yeah, Three Amigos. Three Amigos. Yeah. Not Martin Short. Who's the Who's the guy who played Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit? <clears throat> it's Martin something. What the Martin Freeman? Martin Freeman. I apologize. Martin Freeman plays uh, his sidekick, Watson. And he's Sherlock Holmes, Benedict Cumberbatch. And the show is far above and beyond Robert Downey Jr.'s take on it with Guy Ritchie and Jude Law. So take it for what it's worth. Sherlock Holmes is in, is done. I don't know what the frack he was thinking redoing Doolittle for the 800th time. Eddie Murphy's Dr. Doolittle. The game's over there. So... You know what I mean? Like these, some of these, some of these decisions that these these actors make. I don't know if they just offered them a shit ton of money. Well, he was like, "All right, well, right." I mean, what I think when, and this is what I bring to the bring to the table. Uh, when you first say Robert Downey Jr., the first movie I think of, I'll give you one guess. What's the first movie I think of when you say Robert Downey Jr.? Knowing me, how you know me, Chaplin. No, before Cha- uh, Chaplin. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Chaplin all right, was a dog. Chaplin was a dog. All right, hold on, because that's what I first think of him. So it's got to be an '80s flick. Uh, not Six Degrees of Separation. What the hell was he in? You're gonna have to tell me. It's a great movie. He didn't have the biggest part, but he didn't have a small part. He had a fairly large part. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. played the weird roommate of Rodney Dangerfield's son in Back to School. Yes. In 1986. A great movie, Back to School. Yeah, Robert Down. Yeah. He was the weird he was the weird roommate of uh Rodney Dangerfield's son who was at this particular college in Back to School. Fantastic. That's funny. Hilarious. But that but Chaplin is the other one that comes but Chaplin was ah that I don't know if it was a little before its time, but it just didn't it didn't work. For whatever reason it didn't work. I didn't you know what I haven't seen Chaplin in so long. I don't necessarily remember it. I just remember Robert Downey Jr. played Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, it didn't work. He was actually in uh Natural Born Killers too. Downey Jr. was? Yes, he was. Well, who was he in the movie? Uh that character uh Wayne. Wayne something or other. I forget the guy's last name. It wasn't a huge role, but his name was Wayne something. He had a long. See, when I think of Robert Downey Jr. Besides Iron Man, I think of Tropic Thunder. So if you did Tropic Thunder is one of the funniest movies ever made with Ben Stiller and Jack Black and Robert Downey Jr. 2008 somewhere back there. Did you see it? No, I did not see it. I remember seeing of it, but. That's got to be, yeah, that's got to be like 2008 at this point, I would think. One of the funniest yeah. movies ever, like right up there with Spaceballs. Really? That that good? Tropic I'm, Thunder. I'm going there, bro. And Spaceballs is like Ply Rock Nation Gold. No, I, I know that. You I'm know, gold. because I'm anytime anybody hits the like button, they get paw. You know what I mean? So, that, but I just don't know if Robert Downey Jr., he made he made so many movies as Iron Man, and he was such Tony Stark. He was born to play Tony Stark. Like, let's all be honest, right? There's no. Where does he go? Like, I guess just jump into artsy fartsy films. I don't know. Like, he, I don't. 
he's done enough and he's crossed so many categories and he's been around so long now. So he's been around 35 years now, at least, you know, he's talk about the back nine of his career. I mean, he's, he's ready to, I'm going to pick up this Tropic Thunder there. I just kind of pulled it Oh, up. you got to watch that. That's listen. Oh, Tropic Thunder is just even, even Mrs. Ply made her watch it like last year. Yeah. She's like, I don't watch that stuff. I'm like, you got to see this. Eh, it's guy humor. Eh, no, trust me. By the end of it, she was like, all right, that was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. Which right, is a big compliment on. because it's not in her wheelhouse for movies like that. Gotcha. Can we hit on two quick things? Sure. All right. One is, uh, where are we on Call of the Wild? Call of the Wild with Harrison Ford? Yes. Well, my son wants to see it. Well, it was and a trailer. It was a trailer on head on Sonic, so I'm assuming that's where he saw it too. Yeah, but he saw the trailer for it previously. With he goes to the movie sometimes with his grandmother. Okay. And him and his grandmother are going to go see it. I I read call though. I read a lot of Jack London stuff when I was younger. Um, I think I had to read Call of the Wild in like middle school. As did I. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I also feel like, although I could be wrong, I'm going to Google it right now because I don't like being wrong, but I'm pretty sure this movie has been already made a bunch of times. Right? Or no? I That I don't know. My guess would be yes, since the book has been so big for so long. Yeah, I don't. I don't. 1972 with Charlton Heston, 1997 with Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, I just feel like this has already been done like a bunch of times. And I think they're just like, oh, well, this time we can do it with a CGI dog. Right. And, and that, well, that was kind of my point. That was where I was going. You know, you make this dog. I mean, we know how dogs play uh, to the to the crowd. So you make this dog in in the world we live in. Uh, with the graphics and this, that, and the other, and you you put in all the beauty of, you know, Alaska and, the, and all that that goes along with that. I think the scenes could be uh, pretty breathtaking at times. Yeah, I don't, I don't see this being a bad movie. I just, it's already been made like a bunch of the times. Um, I can tell you the movie reviews so far have not been kind to it. Okay. Um. I think it's a little off-putting that it's a CGI dog. You know what I mean? I don't well, know. Would, would the audience necessarily know that? Oh, you could tell in the trailer that's not okay. a real dog. Okay. okay, fair enough. I mean, look. don't get me wrong. It looks like a good dog. Like, it, it's a very well-animated dog. But it's clearly not a... I don't know. I mean, I'm pulling up the... I'm pulling up the uh, tomato meter now, which, you know, you don't want 100% trust Rotten Tomatoes. But uh, 56 critics so far. It's undermined by its distracting and unnecessary CGI, but this heartwarming call of the wild remains a classic story affectionately retold. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's going to be awful. I just, I feel like it's, it feels like Doolittle. Like, how many times are they going to retell Doolittle? Or they're coming out with a new Emma movie or whatever, like Jane Austen or like, you know, like, I, you know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. Oh no, I saw the Emma trailer. Uh, but to put to put that. By the way, Clark Gable was in the original Call of the Wild in the '30s, probably. Uh, probably in the '40s. 40s. I'm looking it up right now. 1935, Clark Gable. 1935. Even the Mall Dog wasn't around then. Yeah. Uh, White Fang, 1991. Call of the Wild 3D, 2009. Call of the Wild Dog of the Yukon, 1997. Like, how many did they make of this? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, great story. I get it. But, you know, how many times are they going to redo this movie? <laughs> like, crap. Well, you know what they've made only one of? Well, Ghostbusters. And we've teased the no, review. And we've teased the review for five episodes. And yeah. they've made only one of. It's called Uncut Gems. When are we uh, going to get to that? Uncut Gems. Yeah, that's the Adam Sandler movie that you've been dying to talk about. It is the Adam Sandler movie. I've been dying to talk about it. But not not to just heap blanket praise on it. Now, this is the legitimate... This is a legitimate review. Should I? Uh, should yeah. we? Should we bust into that, or should I allow uh, Ply? This the is how we. This is how we tease the next episode of Ply and the Muldog. Muldog will give his uncensored, uncut review of Uncut Gems, starring Adam Sandler, which I have not seen yet, but I'm going to watch it now before Muldog reviews this. So I can bring him back down to earth a little bit on this movie. And he can sing the high praises of it. Because this is not Happy Gilmore, Adam Sandler. Am I correct? Oh, it is the furthest thing from Happy Gilmore, Adam Sandler. And I love Adam Sandler. That's my boy. As so, do I. Yes. So I think we're going to call it there on this one, dude. And then we're going to make sure on the next one we let Dog review Uncut Gems. And I'm also going to want to talk a little bit about this little show on HBO called The Outsider. Uh, I was going to talk about it this time. However, it's not over with yet. And I am on episode six. And it is uh, coming to an end on HBO, the first season, so to speak, of it. And I want to finish the complete story and then give you guys my full review of The Outsider on HBO. And I do not want to spoil it until then. So, Muldog, if you got any final thoughts, man, before we wrap this up, dude, I hope you feel better, by the way. Is there yeah. anything else that you want to ask the Ply before Ply uh, makes a sandwich and watches some YouTube conspiracy videos and goes to sleep? No, just uh, if you happen to get a uh, coronavirus, uh, coronavirus vaccine, send it over to me because I am struggling. <laughs> uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully Muldog will see tomorrow. I'll uh, see tomorrow. You better see tomorrow. You're under contract, you son of a bitch. That's all I'm. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm one, step, one step at a time. You see, you see, uncut gems, and uh, I'll live to talk about it. Is now, that you a- drink some orange juice, and I'll go watch some Adam Sandler movies. Fair enough, my friend. All right, guys, we'll check you guys out on the next Ply and the Muldog. We're out. Peace.